listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. Welcome to part three of our series that we're calling Abundance. We're believing God for abundance. Amen. And uh, today, if you want to take something out to take notes with, that'd be awesome. And if you are one of those people that when they are trying to give you a weekly, oh, no, 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 not for me. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to have them put it in your car during service. Take the weekly, because we want you to be able to take notes down for sure. We believe that God wants to speak something to you. Also, there's a lot of cool things that are happening around here at church. We want to give you all the info about that. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the storehouse blessing. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. The Bible says this, the Lord will command his blessing on you in your storehouses, plural, multiple, right? Storehouses. Say that with me. One, two, three. Storehouses. Storehouses and into all which you set your hand. There are multiple different storehouses, and, and there's actually three that pertain to you in your personal financial life, and they're all found in this chapter, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, if you're reading Deuteronomy 28, the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 are talking about the blessing of Abraham, some pretty cool stuff. Verses 15 to the end of the chapter talk about what would happen under the old covenant if you disobeyed God. And let me just help you, it's some bad juju, everybody, (laughs) but... The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, you can go outside from underneath God's blessing, and you'll suffer the results of a fallen world, of an enemy that wants to eat your lunch. But if you trust God, you'll be able to experience his blessing. And for our purposes today, we're going to be talking about that blessing that God has for us. It's in Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to read all three of them of the course of this message. Jot this down. Deuteronomy 28, 5. Here's the first one. Blessed shalt be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. So, so basket, what you can think of is basket, is, it's talking about really your lunch pail. Whether you have Power Rangers or Barbie or you have Superman or Batman, God has blessed your lunch pail. He has a blessing on that. And here's what it means. God wants to put a blessing on your life that you'll always have enough food, and you'll have enough of the right kind of stuff. Now, whether you just eat Doritos all the time, that's on you. But God wants to bless you with the right stuff to be able to take care of you. The other word there is basket and thy store. So store is a little bit deceiving in King James, but uh, in other versions, it might uh, bear it out to be your kneading trough. Well, what in the world is that? Your kneading trough is where a family would knead bread. And it's, it's the specific spot that they would use for it. And what would happen is every day they'd be baking this bread, but they would actually take off a little bit of that lump and they'd set it aside. They'd bake fresh bread. And then the next day, they'd mix up some more flour and water and ingredient, but they'd grab that lump that they set aside. They'd mix it back in. Maybe your grandparents did this. And that little bit had the yeast in it. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It would make the whole thing yeasted. It was rise. And so there, there's a couple things you can take from that. 
Well, the first one is the fact that God wants to bless your bread. Come on, Panera anointing, you know? And so, uh, but then the, the second thing that I see, and maybe, maybe the deeper thing, is that when we set a little bit back, God can use that bit that we set back to bless the whole lump. It's pretty profound. So what is God saying? He says, I want to bless your meal for today. I want to help what you're going to eat tomorrow until payday comes. I want to bless you in the immediate season. And that's the operative word. The first storehouse, write it down, is the immediate use storehouse. This is what is in your pantry. This is what is in your fridge, your groceries. God says, I want to bless you in the short term. Now, Jesus had a, a uh, immediate use storehouse. He had one of these at his disposal. But the problem with one of these immediate use storehouses is it is subject to waste. It is subject to theft. It's, it's subject to ruin. Even Jesus, who if anybody had the blessing of Abraham on him, even his uh, immediate use storehouse was subject to this. Judas Iscariot stole from Jesus' ministry the whole time that he was there. That's just the truth. Now, people have asked, you know, well, how much was he actually carrying around? Well, what was Jesus' net worth is what you're really wondering. Well, uh, the Bible says that Jesus was preaching one day, and he was fulfilling a dream of mine, and that is to preach all day and all night. <laughs> and uh, not this service, but uh, he's preaching, and he comes to this fact that he's going to have to feed everybody. There's 5,000 men, probably 15,000, 20,000 people, and, uh, and he says, we need to feed these people. And one of the disciples, he kind of pops up, and he says, Jesus... What is 200 penny worth or 200 denarii to feed all these people? In other words, it's not enough. Now, a denarii is a day's wages for an average working man. What Jesus carried, at least in this instant, when he put on the traveling salvation show, when Jesus went out, he had about 200 wages for your average working man, which makes a ton of sense. Jesus had the 12 that, of course, he ministered with, but did you know that there was 150 other in the support staff that would go to the cities beforehand. When Jesus would come in, it was a big organized operation. They weren't a bunch of, a bunch of beggars. And so Jesus had to pay these people. He had to pay the disciples. When Jesus called Peter and said, come follow me, he was taking on an obligation. And I know this. It's, it's untenable to think that he didn't. Let me tell you why. The Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament that if a Christian man does not provide for his family... He's worse than an infidel, and he's denied the faith. Well, Peter, the Bible also says that Peter has a mother-in-law. Well, I'm just going to say it. What good is a mother-in-law if you don't have the wife? <laughs> Quiet, eyes forward, men. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. No, I'm serious. He had a wife. He had a mother-in-law. He had a family. Is Jesus going to have one of his 12 disciples be worse than an unbeliever? Well, of course not. They had to send money home, make sure everybody was taken care of. This was a big operation. They received offerings, uh, of course, but at the same time, they were not beggars. They were not hippies that were wandering around. And so we have to realize that they were not poor. Although they didn't have a large caravan that was filled with gold and treasure, they also had everything that they needed and didn't deal with poverty. Now, the first storehouse, the immediate use is good, but it's not enough. The next one, the second blessing on a storehouse is this. Write it down. It's the intermediate use storehouse. So there's an immediate use and then the intermediate use. Well, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 28, 8, we read it already, the Lord will command the blessing, the blessing, the blessing. Okay, the Lord will command. He commands it. And this is one of the only spots in the Bible where God commands a blessing. 
He commands the blessing on you in your storehouses into all which you set your hand. Now, the word storehouses in this passage, it's not talking about your lunch pail or what's in the fridge. This is talking about barns, and it's plural. It's very important to understand that. Because in Bible days, there was coin, there was cash, but they weren't really dealing in commerce with a lot of cash money. They did, but that wasn't the bulk of it. A lot of it was barter and trade, and it had to do with, in some form, trading food. Well, Pastor Joe comes from the North Country, and I know some of those people. You ever hear that country song that says, I know people like in high places, low places? Well, I mainly err towards low places, but uh, some of the people that I grew up with, they would have something called a smokehouse. If you don't know what this is, uh, maybe they would uh, butcher uh, a head of cattle, or maybe they would have a, slaughtered a hog, or they shot a deer, and they might hold back a little bit of it for their immediate use, but in order to preserve it, especially back in antiquity, they would smoke it. So the modern smokehouses, they're, they're built pretty drafty. There's a lot of space in between the slots of wood, and this is on purpose. They will go in there, and they'll light a fire, typically hickory wood, some other great hardwood, and they'll burn in there, and the smoke will be able to escape, and it helps feed the fire with a little bit of oxygen, just enough to keep it going so it's a slow burn, and it cures the meat and preserves it. So they don't have to just eat everything with the immediate use. They could hold back a little bit. A smokehouse is one type of storehouse. When I was growing up, uh, my grandma, she lived near uh, Kenowa, in 13 Mile, we, we said Sparta. My grandpa would have insisted he lived in Gooding, which doesn't even exist. If you know, you know. But uh, they would say to my sister and I on a Friday night, if we were staying over, hey, Joe, why don't you run down to the cellar and go get a Coke? Man, I tell you what, I'd race my sister Jamie down there, and they would have these one-liter glass bottles, the green glass, if you know, you know, of Coke, and we'd bring it up. And of course, they were Dutch, the Van Belzens, and we'd have to split the one-liter. But it was a special thing, and I loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing to be able to go down there. felt like I was going to a secret room, you know. And it was 15, 20 degrees cooler than the rest of the house, typically filled with canned fruit and vegetables, and, and, and it was a special room. My wife and I actually, when we built our house, we built a cellar underneath our porch uh, for that very reason. We thought it was a great idea. A cellar is another version of a storehouse. Now, my grandparents didn't farm. But they lived out in those orchards, and there was a lot of people that farmed around them. And I loved it because my buddy, Neil, up the road, he, his family had a big old hay barn. If you didn't grow up next to a hay barn, you missed half your life. Because there's all kinds of little secret passageways and places to hide and different rooms. You're like, where did this room even come from? I've been playing here forever. We would take farm equipment, act like they were swords. Of course, our parents didn't know, don't do that. But we would have a ride out there. Now, a barn, again, is a drafty building. Because you don't want hay, if it gets wet, to stay wet. You want it to be able to dry out, otherwise mold will hit, and you can have a whole barn full of hay go wet and go bad in an instant. Now, that's different than grain storage. So my Uncle Bob, real thing, um, my Uncle Bob, he raised hogs. And so we would go every once in a while to the grain elevator in Nuego. Now, grain storage is different. You want that contained and dry because, again, the whole lot of it could go bad. And you're like, Pastor Joe, I thought this was a message on God's abundance. Listen, I'm not trying to teach you to farm. I'm trying to say, in Bible times, there were different storehouses. And even today, there's different storehouses. Now, I would encourage you to have some sort of cellar or some sort of pantry. 
I don't want you to be fearful. I don't want you to be one of these doomsday preppers. I've read Revelation. It pans out just fine for believers. But at the same time, my wife and I, although we don't want to be extreme, you might think we're extreme. We have six months' worth of food for all six of us. He said, well, that's crazy. Y'all remember 2020? Remember going to the grocery store and there was nothing there? Yeah, let that burn a little bit and make the decision to have a little bit of food stored back. Don't, don't eat up all that you have. So it's literally, as I'm saying, but also what could these other things look like? The intermediate use storehouse can look like your retirement accounts. It can look like money that you're, you're putting back for a purpose. Maybe it's for your kids to go to college or some training. Maybe it's money that you're putting back because you want to be able to put a down payment on a house. And what God says is he puts a blessing on your storehouses. In other words, it would be very wise to have a diverse portfolio of something that's a little bit more reliable in times where things are a little bit spartan. Now, it's amazing how few Americans have this. The stats will make you laugh and then cry all at once. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't have anything in an intermediate use storehouse, it's one of two reasons. The first reason is this. You think you can't afford it. You think it's too much money. There's no way. And then the second reason is you don't think you can start with $5. You think if I'm going to have all this money stored up for like if things get hard or if I lose work or if I get sick, it's got to be a lot of money. I have to do something demonstrative. Listen. That's a deception. God loves it when we start small with things. He has no problem with us starting with a seed. And so you take $5 when you get home from church today, and here's what you do. Go and find a book and put it in the book. You say, why a book, Pastor Joe? Because if you have teenagers, that's the safest place. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You go put that 5 bucks in a book and just let it be there. And here's what's going to happen. That money will become magnetic. That money, you'll be walking past it, and it will go, feed me. God will command his blessing on it. And all of a sudden, you'll find a little bit extra money freed up in the budget, if you have one. You'll find a little bit of money here and there, and you'll get a kick out of it, putting money into that storehouse. You're like, oh, my gosh, we have $100. Celebrate it. Don't look down on that. Don't look down at the fact that you're just starting out. You start small, and you watch God come through for you. It's a big deal. God himself will honor you. The Bible says that we are called to deny ourselves. Jesus said, if you would take up your cross and deny yourself, then you could really follow him. If you spend more money, then comes into your grubby little paws, you're never going to have a storehouse. This is a theme that we're going to talk about a little bit this week, more next week, and that is this concept of the cross. When we, when we go to a cross, now, can you just help me out? In Christianity, what comes after the cross? Resurrection. You know, and resurrections are awesome. So you think that the cross is going to be forever. Oh, I'm never going to be able to eat out again. Well, some of y'all need a break from eating out to begin with. But then number two, different sermon. Number two, yes, you will. Crosses don't last forever. Crosses are temporary. If you can just do this and give it its didgeridoo, you'll watch God bless it, and you'll have more of that passive income. But you can't eat all that you have. You have to be willing to deny yourself. At some point in your Christian walk, you're going to have to be able to say, no to yourself and deny yourself. Are y'all still with me? But here's what happens with that resurrection. God will multiply it and God will glorify it. 
He will come through for you in supernatural ways, and you'll have a robust storehouse. God commands his blessing. If you don't do it, zero times 100 is? Zero. Yeah. He commands his blessing on it, but some of you aren't giving him a lot to work with. Just start small. You'll see God come through for you. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus did not have an intermediate-use storehouse. Did you know that? And the reason is it didn't fit into his purpose. Jesus came to preach the gospel. He came to give his life on the cross. It didn't fit into his purpose. And that tells me this. In the kingdom of God, write this down, provision follows purpose. You want provision? It's going to follow God's purposes. In your life, it's going to follow God's purposes in his kingdom. The purpose of Jesus was to preach. The purpose of Jesus was to give his life. You know, it's akin to this, this thought. It's the same reason why God didn't give Jesus a wife. Some of us, we say things, we're like, I just want to be exactly like Jesus. Well, you're talking about being single too, just to let you know. So we want to follow his example, but Jesus did certain things because he was the Messiah. He didn't have a wife. This whole line about him having a fling with Mary Magdalene is the biggest bunch of bull I've ever heard in my entire life. Of course not. He didn't need a family of five kids or nine kids. Jesus was going to redeem the world and have millions and millions and millions of people in his family. And so, so, so provision follows purpose. God didn't give him a wife because here we are, and we're a fraction of this great family of God. And in the same way, he didn't have the intermediate use storehouse. He didn't have money stored up for his retirement because he was headed to a cross, everybody. Are you, are you tracking with me? So provision will follow that purpose, and that's massive. And so what we need to realize is, in kind, Jesus did have a third version of a storehouse, and it is called the interdimensional storehouse. Write that down. Number three, interdimensional. You say, Pastor Joe, that sounds wild. Okay, let me tell you where I got this. I'm a preacher, so it's the immediate it's the intermediate, and it had to be the interdimensional because that's just how preaching works. And so the interdimensional, what are you talking about? You make a deposit in one dimension, and you can make a withdrawal from another. You deposit here on earth, but you can withdraw from heaven. That's what we're talking about. You could have called this the heavenly storehouse, and Jesus talked about this. Jesus lived out of this, and it's foreshadowed in that same chapter, Deuteronomy 28. The Bible says this, that the Lord will open to you his good treasure. This is God's storehouse, his bank that he's running. His good treasure, the heavens, to give rain to your land and season, to bless all the work of your hand, you shall lend to many nations. The treasure of heaven is God's treasure. Now, Jesus Christ echoes this in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn there quickly. I want you to see this. Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel chapter 6. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves. Do not lay up for yourselves. Say those two words with me. Do not lay up for yourselves. Say it again. For for, say it one more time. People get this idea when they read this passage that Jesus does not want you to think about your money. Y'all look at me. Listen, I'm your pastor. I love you. I have a license to do this. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If you don't think about your money, who's going to think about your money? Your neighbor? 
Oh, brother, listen, I'm sorry. I I normally come over to borrow some milk, but I I can't stop thinking about your bank account. And and I'm just, (laughs) your balance. And and so here's here's 10 grand to tide you over. If that's enough, that's crazy. Nobody's thinking about how to give you their money. You need to think about your money. You need to think about, like, a plan for it. Like, where's your money going to come from? Where's your money going to go? Now, Jesus doesn't want you to worry about your money. But you have to think about it. You have to take responsibility under his lordship for your money. People think that somehow Jesus was some sort of spiritual hippie. Hey, man, come follow me and my disciples. We're just lingering around Galilee doing our thing, and and I'll preach for food, but you know, whatever. We don't own anything. We don't have anything going on. That's crazy. Jesus had a business mind. Jesus had to provide for people. Jesus had family business to conduct, and he wasn't poor about doing it. Jesus had ideas about how to get the ministry going. He had plans that he was instituting. He was not the leader of some aimless group of vagabonds that were mooching off from everybody else's handouts. He was well compensated through offerings, which was godly and just and still is. But he was not some spiritual mooch. Well, Pastor Joe, I read in my Bible that even the Son of God didn't have a place to hang his head in Capernaum. In that city. He couldn't find a place in that city. He had places. In fact, we have a record of him sleeping at different places in people's houses and hotels and hostels. He was able to find a place. But in that one spot, people think that Jesus was under the stars all the time. It's because they can't read their Bible. You have to do origami to the Greek to make Jesus not into someone who had provision. Are y'all with me? I think so. Okay, I'm going to help. I'm going to help. He had provision, yet it came from the interdimensional storehouse. Matthew 6, 19. I got to finish this first. That was the first sentence, everybody. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, everybody say but. But. It done made everybody say but in church. Okay. But, but, (laughs) I told you I'm from Nuevo. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But lay up for yourselves treasures. You've read that your entire adult life, and and you agree with it. You just don't know how it works. If you know how it works, you should tell me, because I should have heard it before this. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why would any of that matter if it wasn't for our use, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is not saying that you can't have an investment in an intermediate use storehouse. He's saying you need to pursue the next world first. You need to pursue his kingdom first. It's not that you can't have other pursuits. It's that you need to pursue him before everything. Now, there's a beautiful story in the Old Testament that illustrates this. It's about a widow. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. I want us to go through this story, and you're going to see God's provision for a woman who's really at the end of, of her natural provision. In Bible times, the most vulnerable people were widows, If your husband died and you didn't have sons or you didn't have extended family, there was a good likelihood that you would starve. There was no social security. There was no endowment for people that were um, in a bad spot like that. And so if you didn't have that, a lot of widows in Bible times suffered abject poverty. And yet I want us to see how God provided for this woman. First Kings, I'm going to start in chapter 17, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, 
Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. He says, see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. In Bible times, if they were reading this, this would have blown their mind because the last place you would have gone for any storehouse or any provision is to a widow. But yet what I want you to see is this. When God chooses to use you, it doesn't require a lot of money. You need to know that. In fact, if God wants to use you, you better just trust it's going to be good, no matter how much you have. Verse 10. He arose and went. Indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her, and he said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I might drink. And She was going to go get it, and yet he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. I could preach a whole message about that, but if you missed the past two weeks, you missed half your life. The law of the hand is right there in this. But it goes on, verse 12. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Now, this tells me that this widow knew who Elijah was as the Lord your God. He's walking up on her. He can, uh, she could see him from afar. And we do have a historical account of what Elijah looked like. He looked very masculine, rugged. He was kind of built. Kind of reminds you of me, really, honestly. He was humble, you know. <laughs> no, he was a rugged guy. And so she saw from far off that he was coming. But then the second thing is we just read it. God commanded her. He said, hey, my prophet's coming. You take care of him. And, and she's arrested in her track. She says, all I have, I don't. So she's making this excuse for it. We read about it in verse 12. Here's the whole thing. She says, I only have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This lady, in my holy imagination, She's taking these sticks, she's mixing up some flour, and she's frying this oil. She's making two corn dogs without the weenie, okay? That's what's happening in the Bible. And what she's saying is, I'm going to eat these done corn dogs up, and then I'm going to die. In other words, this is it. This is the last of my provision. She thinks that is all to the story, but God is stepping in. You know, God wants us to start with what we have. Very rarely when you have a big need or a big bill, or some devastating thing knock at your door, very rarely do you ever have all the money in the coffers to take care of it. It may not be what's in your hand will satisfy the need, but it will be a seed. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear. What a breath of fresh air. He says, go and do as you have said, like go make those corn dogs, but make me a small cake from it first. I want just a little piece of, of cornbread. Bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. I'm going to tell you about this passage, but first I want to give you really what it looks like to make an investment in the interdimensional storehouse. Write it down. You invest in it when you put God first. It might be money, it might be an action, it might be God asking you to speak to somebody. When you go and you obey God and you put him first before your feelings, before what you'd like to do, before your plans, when you put him first, that's how you make an investment. Now, when you read about him saying to this lady, and this is the last of her food, he says, hey, go and do it, but make me a little cake first. I know many of you, you think, money grubbing preacher, <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't think it was that way at all. In fact, I think if he was really to 
uh, stretch out his legs. If he was to throw his weight around, he'd say, none of it's for you. Give it all to me. In fact, he says, go and do your plans. Just make me something a little, but do it first. And he's doing this because he knows what God will do. She thinks I'm giving you my last meal, but it's not her last meal. Several years ago, 2017, New Chapel, we, we launched our first building campaign. It was to buy this. And I remember we were having this offering to launch the giving campaign, and people were coming up to the front, and they were putting in their sacrificial offering and their pledges. And I remember seeing a couple come up to the very front. They came up to the pulpit, and I knew their financial situation. It was very modest. And as they were coming up, you would have thought that they were carrying something that weighed 10 pounds. And I, I just wanted to go down there and be like, no, you don't have to do this. Listen, you, you need that money. You got you to gotta figure out yourself. We'll get by. We have other people that, but I've known God too long. Amen. You cannot outgive God. If I would have done that, I would have robbed those young people of the blessing that God had for them. Amen. And the truth of the matter is that's exactly what was happening. I don't think Elijah wanted to throw his weight around. I think he was weighing this so very cautiously. And so he says, you go do this first. Make me a cake first. And so this is what the prophet said in verse 14. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain. It's in the middle of this famine. Verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Wow. This lady needed provision, but what she needed was she needed provision that her immediate use couldn't provide. It was ate up. It was a famine. Apparently, even if she was a coupon shopper, if she was the most frugal lady around, her intermediate storage uh, a storehouse was eaten up. If she even had an intermittent use, if she had a whole bunch of grain or a whole bunch of money, what good is it during a famine? Now this little old lady is going to be subject to theft and, and she's going to be very vulnerable. What she needs is what heaven can provide. She needs to make a withdrawal from her heavenly account, enter in the prophet, and he gives her a seed opportunity. You just do this little bit and you watch. God will take care of you. Wow. What I want you to see is the interdimensional youth storehouse is way better than the other ones. We need those, but it's way better. If you only had one, I'd prefer to have that. Now, this story that we just read, it makes me think about this passage in the New Testament with another widow. This lady's name is Tabitha, and she had this incredible influence in the area of Joppa. It says this in Acts 9. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds. Pause for a second. Y'all look at me. The Bible never puts in a detail just frivolously. Every detail is there on purpose, and it's telling you, remember this. But it happened in those days that she became sick, and she died. They laid her in an upper room. Verse 38, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, and so they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming. Peter arose and went, and they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which she had made while she was with them. What's happening? Tabitha lost her husband. She was a widow, but she was also a woman who had some money. She had some means. 
And what she did was she took the spot of her greatest pain and she flipped the script on the enemy and made it her ministry. So she took care of these widows, some of which didn't have any money. And she would have to um, measure them up and make clothes for them. As I read this, I would read over details like this until I went to the Middle East for the first time. When I went to Pakistan, I had to go, and I wanted to get one of those shawlwear kameez, those long kind of roby outfits. And so we had to go to a tailor, and he measured me up and, and got it all put together. It's a perfect fit. I've never had a shirt that fits as well as this. I will tell you, I do look like a conservative wearing a bed sheet when I'm wearing it. But, but, so this lady, she would, she would make all the clothes for these widows who couldn't afford to buy any clothes. She would make it custom for these women, and it was special. She put care and love into it. She gave these women some dignity, and she's gone. And they're showing this, and they're saying, Peter, she's made an investment in heaven. She's invested in us. The Bible says that she was known for good deeds and charitable acts. This woman was a good and godly woman, and everybody knew she is dying prematurely. This is before her time. Something that you need to settle in your heart is that circumstances are not always going to reveal to you the will of God. It's just not going to work that way. God's will doesn't always play out exactly as he would want. God's not willing that any should perish, but we know that people do all the time. And so if you base your life off from circumstance to try to extrapolate what God's will is, you will be on a roller coaster of a life and you will be miserable. Where do we find out God's will from his word. And we know that she was not supposed to die. Well, how do you know that she specifically, Pastor Joe, how specifically was she not supposed to die? How do you know that? Because I can read. The Bible says in Psalm 41, it says, blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him. Pause. The Lord will What's God's will? He will deliver. He will preserve him, keep him alive. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. This lady died prematurely, and it wasn't right, and everybody knew it. So Peter comes in, and he's going to correct what death did. It says this in verse 40. Peter put all the people out. You're going to find out that when you begin to take steps of faith, some of the old relationships in your life, they're going to have to be put out. You don't have to be rude to them. You don't have to be mean to them. They just got to get out because they're not at the same spot. And if you want godly results and you want to pursue him in faith, sometimes you're not going to have a majority of people cheering you on with it. So Peter, he pulls them all out and he prays. And turning to the body, he says, Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes and saw Peter. She sits up and then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. What a gentleman. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Tabitha had treasure in heaven. Now, question, what good does it do if all the treasure that we invest in heaven just stays up there? Look at me. You don't need treasure in heaven. What are you going to buy in heaven? God uses gold as asphalt. Are you tracking with me, everybody? 
What do you need up there? What, what, what do you need? The heavenly bank account is so that in times of desperation, in times of need, in times of famine, in times where like plans and programs in your life die and perish, that you can make a withdrawal and say, God, I need you to show up on my behalf. Tabitha did that, and she was alive. Do you see it? Amen. That blessing is just for much for today as it is for in heaven. Jesus operated his ministry out of the interdimensional storehouse. Jesus was not poor. Get that out of your head. He became poor when he came to earth, but he didn't stay poor. Became poor because he became one of us. He didn't stay poor. In fact, 14 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will read specific instances about Jesus taking a withdrawal out of his heavenly storehouse. Eight different times, Jesus had supernatural favor and had provision show up exactly when he needed it. And this followed him his entire life. When he was a toddler, the Magi showed up. Who are they? They're those guys that followed the star to where Jesus was at the manger, right? The Magi show up to a toddler Jesus and give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was not just a cute Bible story. Herod was trying to kill Jesus. Mary and Joseph didn't have the money to evacuate and get Jesus and the whole family to Egypt. Enter the Magi. They show up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They have currency and trade so that they can get from Bethlehem all the way to where they need to be. Jesus, at his first miracle, does a creative miracle, and he turns water into prosecco, water into wine because they had need for it at that wedding in Cana of Galilee. Even at Jesus' death, there was provision. The Bible prophesied about this in Isaiah, that the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Well, Joseph of Arimathea showed up. He loved Jesus, and he took the body down with some others and buried it inside his tomb that he had prepared for him. Of course, Jesus only rents tombs, you see, but there was provision. Jesus had provision for his death. Twice he was anointed. One time a lady took oil and poured it on his legs and washed his feet with her hair. Another time a lady broke open an alabaster jar of oil, put it all over Jesus' head and anointed him for his death. That alabaster jar was worth one year's wages for the average man. This was fit for a king. Nicodemus, the man that was a rabbi and snuck away and asked Jesus about being born again, you remember that story? He provided 75 pounds of spices to put on Jesus' body for his burial. This was the type of treatment that a king would receive. It is God Almighty saying, if he has to die, he's not going out poor. I want my son to be honored in the decision that he's making. Wow. Now, when he had transportation needs, a donkey shows up. When he has need for a Passover place, a room is provided for him, and it's furnished with all of the furniture and food for everything that he needs. Jesus does creative miracles, multiplying loaves and fishes. Somebody shows up with long John Silvers, like leftovers, and Jesus feeds 5,000 men. That's 15 to 20,000 people. They would count like the men as head of household. 15 to 20,000 people. He just provided it for them. He had all the provision that he needed. He had all the provision. Uh, in Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3, some of the richest ladies in all of Israel really loved Jesus' ministry, and they gave handsomely into it multiple different times. Three times there was provision with fish. Two times they would cast a net, and they caught so many fish it almost capsized the ship. 
One time they had a need to pay temple tax. They put out a pole, caught one fish, and there was a coin in the fish's mouth. I'm here to tell you, your Jesus had all the provision that he needed anytime he needed it, but it was an interdimensional storehouse. It was heaven's provision. Are you with me, everybody? Every time that he faced a need. And God wants to bless you. God wants to bless your family. God wants to give you enough so you can give into his kingdom. God wants to bless you enough that you can give into missions. For 10 years, we've given 10 cents out of every dollar into world missions. A year or so ago, Pastor Eric's greatest supporter who promised him the world unexpectedly withdrew all the money in a moment. I prayed about that. God ministered to my heart that I was to give what that guy was giving. Bigger church, more provision. We did it, and I thank God that we did. I didn't get it, guys. You don't even get it. I mean, you get it, but you don't. Until I went there and I saw the things that I saw and the people that I met and, 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 and the tragedy and, and the power of God, how he's pancaking. Pastor Eric and the pastor's friend is pancaking that area, and we're giving diligently to him in our missions. You say, Pastor Joe, that's nepotism. You look at me. If you don't like it, you can lump it. God calls families. He called the Levites. He called families. And God has called this family to serve his people. Well, Pastor Joe, how much of that money actually went to missions? Look at me. More than you gave. More than the budget. We've given sacrificially to the word of God, and that's how I know New Chapel will never go without because we have an endowment in heaven. God has blessed my family. God has blessed my kids because for years I preached that good news gospel when I lived below the poverty line, when I had holes in my shoes, but God saw it and God's blessed me and I'd be able to make withdrawals from that because he is faithful. And he'll do the same for you. He wants to bless you in your immediate needs if you'll let him. He wants to take your storehouse, your barns, and multiply it and glorify it if you'll trust him. But he wants to do it all in cooperation with a heart that says, God, I can't take my next breath without you. If this economy blows up because we have weak, feckless leadership that couldn't lead the economy out of a wet paper bag, it doesn't matter what happens in the world because my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. It's found in a heavenly storehouse. It's one of the ways that you can experience his abundance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for meeting us here. God, I know that there's people that have needs. Lord, I pray that you'd show them that seed, that, that part that they have to play. It's not cruel. It's not asking too much. It's the natural. They can do the natural. You can do the supernatural. God, I pray for those people that have needs that they would take that step of obedience to you. God, I know that there's other people and they've been working for years and they would say they don't have anything to show for it. God, I pray that you would help them to take the step of just starting, even with five bucks, even with a dollar, something for that intermediate use storehouse. God, I pray that you blow them away with your blessing on it. You said you command the blessing on their storehouse. I pray that you show up in a way that it's undeniable that God came through. 
And Lord, as I preach a message like this, I'm preaching about your love, your provision, your concern over every small detail of our lives. God, as I'm preaching this, I pray that if there's anybody that doesn't know you in that way, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute. Gang, you're hearing about a God that cares about the details. He wants to provide for you, yes, in eternity, yes, in heaven. If you call on Jesus as your Lord, you'll go to heaven. You'll avoid hell. But he wants you to be provided for today. Jesus said that he wants to give you life more abundant. If you want to experience that resolve and peace and joy and provision, it's found by letting go of everything that you think is right in yielding to a God that we call king. When you make Jesus Lord boss over your life, you can withdraw from economy, you can withdraw from this world's version of happiness, and you can find your peace and hope in him today. I want to give you that opportunity. Now, church, we're going to pray this. I want you to pray it out loud with people. I want you to say it because you believe it. It's a declaration of your faith, and I also want you to say it to support them. Let's pray this out loud. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus as Lord. I surrender. I ask that you'd forgive me. Put your spirit within me. Make all things new. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, give it up for those people. Come on, New Chapel, who accepted Christ today. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. See you next weekend. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.